Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Be careful what you wish for. You just may get it. Welcome to Be Real. I am Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And we're your Be Real guys. It's uh, your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. And we've got a pretty good genre for you today. Uh, not of the best yeah, known movies. Yeah, I mean, movies, good but for discussion. A- I- <laughs> yes. I don't know if it's like good for like watching all three in a row. Yeah. Well, it brings us here today with the uh, release last week of the of the Netflix Joe Swanberg movie, Win It All, is the genre Dummy Finds a Bag of Money. Absolutely. And just how much of a dummy and what kind of dummy these protagonists are, we'll discuss, but they all do involve a completely serendipitous bag of money. Yeah. And then going to a real idiot. Yes. Like everybody who who handles who anyone who touches this bag of money is rendered a fool, uh-huh. whether by the money or they were um, already. Well, there's that great speech in Money for Nothing where he's like, "The ink from the money, it's going into your bloodstream." But like, he's not he's not wrong. Is an analogy for like what these movies sort of you know posit about what people do when they're given a lot of money. Yeah. Um. So, like I said, Win It All, that's the new Joe Swanberg movie that came out on Netflix on April the 7th. Um, and then A Simple Plan, which is Sam Raimi, I think 1998. 1998, yep. And then 1993, John Cusack is our Joey Coyle finding a bag of money. Right. And from those uh, titles and uh, starring actors alone, you could also argue that uh, this genre is three comedic character actors totally out of their depth in serious <laughs> dramas. Yeah, these movies, they we were saying right before, they, they make strange choices about uh, their tone and what genre of movie they want to be classifiably. And in some cases, the strange thing is that they don't make choices. Right. So Well, they let the actors sort of take over what they want the tone of the film to be. That's true. And I would say in all, most if not all cases, like, that's the wrong choice. But where do you want to start? I think we should start with Win It All. Does that sound okay? I think that's the one that people are most likely to have seen, just because it popped up on Netflix recently. Whereas Money for yeah. Nothing, or actually, a simple plan you can find on Amazon Hulu, and Money for Nothing, you've you got to go deep rental for that one. Yeah, I mean, I just rented it on Amazon for two ninety nine or whatever it was. Right. Um, so, Win It All. Stars Jake Johnson from who you would know as Nick from New Girl, um, and right. who you might know if you've seen other Joe Swanberg things. He starred in uh, Drinking Buddies and Digging for Fire, and I think he had a turn in the Easy Netflix original series, which I didn't watch, um, but I think he was in that. Um, and the premise is fairly simple here: a compulsive gambler who is down on his luck in a permanent seeming st- being down on his luck is part of who this guy this guy is in what he's a all. pathological loser yeah and 
he basically out of the blue a guy shows up in his apartment who maybe he remembers from the old neighborhood says here's a bag don't look in it if i'm about to go to jail for six months if i can come back and get it from you in six months i'll give you 10 grand again do not do anything with this bag um, right spoiler alert there's a bunch of money in that bag is it 500 grand in this in this one yeah, there's a lot of money in that bag. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna lose tracks of the amount of money pretty easily. I think right. it's five hundred grand. Yeah, and also like some other things, some other bits of evidence. Yes, yeah. He's a gambling addict and a pathological loser. So of course, he opens the bag and he hatches a simple plan. Mm-hmm. And the simple plan is to take a small loan from the bag. Yeah, and. <laughs> Make money off of it and make more money than the 10,000 he's promised because he needs the money now. And the the key thing to all three of these movies is the people need the money now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what drives the thing forward. Like they can't wait for time to pass. Like the money, they need it now. It's it's least so in Money for Nothing. But in Simple Plan in this movie, the real drama of the movie is not only that they have the money, but they also need money. They have a need. And so in this one, he just can't wait because, like, he parks cars professionally. Yep. And he needs the money now, so he takes a little bit and tries to gamble and make more money and goes up a little bit at first, uh-huh. but then, like, loses everything and, like, cannot win and gets so much into a hole that there's, like, an obvious absence in the bag. Yes. So he needs to win the money back. And then the guy who is going to be in jail gets off early. So right. the movie's basically a whole, it's only like a couple of weeks go by. Right. And so he needs to like win upwards of $50,000 back. Mm-hmm. Like in a night. What are you doing in my house? I'll let myself in. I got a business proposition for you. I got a little something here. I need stored. What's in the bag? Don't worry about what's in this bag. Don't open it. Don't look at it. Just put it away. Forget about it. That's it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Holy Well, all these movies are interesting, too, because did you notice that they're all about brothers? Oh, they are, aren't they? They're all... They're they all have this I sort of like weird together. older and younger brother thing. So in this one, we have Joe Latruglio yep. uh, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and all those David Wayne movies yep. <laughs> playing. But he's playing against type. He's yes. like funny, but he's not like he's not the like the like the funny guy in this one. Jake Johnson is like is sort of but it's a drama anyway. Yeah. And he in this case, he really wants Eddie to put it together. He's like, uh, right. you get the feeling he's offered a million times. Like, will you just go straight and like come work a nine to five at my landscaping company? Right. And that's the thing. He's made a comfortable yet boring life for himself. Yes. Jake Johnson could so easily do that uh-huh. and make that life for himself. But because he has that hunger for, he's got that American spirit, you know, he's just a poor person waiting to be rich. Yeah. He thinks he can't lose. But what makes this one specific, I think, is the fact that it is a gambling movie. I mean, you have the younger kind of screw-up brothers and the other ones trying to pull out of maybe a similar, um, like, poverty as, as right. Jake Johnson. But you have Eddie looking at his brother, Joe Latrulio, and, and thinking, like, I just, I'm not a working stiff. I'm the kind of guy who's going to, like, either win or lose big my entire life. Um, right. And in that way, like, he sort of... His psychology is really interesting in this movie. Like, the way he pushes off responsibility. A line I really loved 
Latruglio and, and his wife are like, so Eddie, what's going on? You never come by anymore. What are you doing? Are you still parking cars? And he and he's just kind of sheepishly like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, the Cubs are doing really good. So, yeah, you know, people want to come to the games. I thought I'd keep doing it. And just sort of that, like, psychology of, like, you're telling me that the quality of baseball matters in terms of your... He just thinks he's rolling with the fates on this one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, there's a lot of about fate in this kind of this genre, especially because this one is sort of that Venn diagram of like gambling movie and also idiot finds a bag of money movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting and it's, of course, like we said, it's Joe Swanberg. So it's like very mumbly. Yeah. And but Jake Johnson's like good in that environment because he can be loud and he can be louder than other people. <laughs> uh huh. And his voice is so distinctive. Let yeah. me ask you this, though. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this movie gives Jake Johnson, like, enough to do? Um, I would I would say, oh, yeah. I would say resounding yes. You think so? I mean, enough to do, like, narratively. You might not be totally satisfied with kind of the way that he gets into that relationship with the woman he gets into a relationship with. But in terms of, like, acting, like, in terms of, you know, find a moment and make it sing Jake, I think it gives yeah. him dozens and dozens. I think yes, but I think it gives him like very softbally like Jake Johnson moments. Like this movie could easily be like an episode of New Girl with like an, it's an hour drama instead of a half hour sitcom. <laughs> sure, Nick goes home and gets depressed he's for a Nick while. Nick Miller, and he's got the same like Nick Miller sensibility, but yeah. like this knows that it's not a sitcom, so it's not going to put him at the same spot it did at the beginning. But then it sort of does. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting the ways in which this is like. This sort of defies, I mean, might be a little early for this, but the ways in which this movie defies the Hollywood gambling movie, but sort of like also has to stick by that formula, because like what else are you going right. to do, you know? Um, well, so- I was going to say, and like the big <laughs> argument that I'm going to make for this movie and for all three of these movies is that they're they're like almost like not as good versions of other better movies okay. that are like not in this category. So for this one, I feel like it's, you know, it's sort of using that rounders idea where like, let's take an actor who's associated with a very lovable person, like in TV movies, the same thing you did with Damon with rounders and then like put him in a pretty serious drama and like see what he does and put a pretty decent supporting cast around him. Just as I feel like, and this one's even easier, Simple Plan is clearly just a remake of Fargo. Oh, yeah. It's very frustrating the ways in which it's not Fargo. Right. It's it's a lesser version of Fargo, as this one is a lesser version of Rounders, as Money for Nothing. Um, yeah. Oh, Money for Nothing is a remake of Rocky. Oh, sure. Okay. Hmm. It's right. just like, it's taking this Philadelphia kind of thing, this working class hero, he like does something to like be the champion of the neighborhood. Here's a Philly legend kind of movie. But I think for this one, like the biggest crime of it is that it, because it's just Swanberg and and Jake Johnson, I just wanted it to be like goofier. Yeah. Like I wanted it to have like more fun. I found it to be fun sometimes. I mean, I like, I love the moment at the beginning where he like hasn't paid his tab at the bodega, which I didn't even know was a thing you could still do. And the guy, <laughs> and the, he's like just going to take his breakfast because he's lost all his money the night before. And he's yeah. just like, what do you want me to do? You want me to go f- fucking die? And the guy goes, I don't care. And he goes, you do. 
you do. <laughs> and then he just kind of walks backward out of there. There's some moments, but I know what you're saying. It's not that it's not that goofy. It's much more of a character study. I don't want to like ruin the ending because this movie just came out and I do I do think it is worth seeing if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um But I think the ending, like it asks Jake Johnson some to do something that he can't quite do and then kind of cops out. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's what this agree. movie resolves is like with a a better actor would have done a better thing here, and then like well it's Jake Johnson from New Girl <laughs> so let's like let's leave him like slightly on his feet. Uh huh. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I think yes, I think that the the movie kind of finding itself before the Hollywood ending in this very not Hollywood movie is is right. is the pleasure. And I mean, and I think that's what Joe Swanberg movies do is they they find themselves. They sort of. They start out, they see themselves in relation to some trope. Like, I love Drinking Buddies so much because it's like... Oh, it's a great movie. You know, oh my God, these people should be together. These two, like, they have to be together, even if they're with other people. And in the end, it's just like, oh God, uh, that's not how life works. And that's sort of like what this movie kind of does with the gambling movie until the moment it's not. But, I mean, the ambiance is incredible. I love the fact that Jake Johnson is always either holding a plastic cup of beer or a paper cup of coffee. It's just like, that's the kind of guy he is. Like he is never without, um, you know, some chemical to keep him up and down and, and his mood. And in the same way, you know, the movie actually shows how much he's up and down as if there were like a rain cloud or sunshine avatar over his head. Um, right. I think it's, I think it's great filmmaking, but I, I, I don't think it's a great film. Right. Not great. Yeah. It's good. It's yeah. definitely like a good. We can sort of get towards our yeah, let's. our ratings here. I think it is a good movie, mm-hmm. um, but it could be like a such a better movie, and that's like what's kind of frustrating about it. Is yeah. like this is well trod territory, you know, as we discussed because of the nature of the genre we picked, but also just like these like middle age like these like thirty something white guy finding themselves like this movie could have had Mark Wahlberg in the role it could have been the gambler it could have been like this movie's done this to movie's death better than the gambler there's like mississippi grind and it's like it's of like a sort of class of independent you know a half nelson you know in this like class of 30 something white guy like struggles with something real kind of thing sure sure um before we do rating can i ask you real quick how you feel about um it seems like netflix is all in now on just the production of movies that would have been in theaters three years ago. We, I mean, this came oh, out yeah. the week after the discovery, that Redford Siegel movie that looked so insane. Um, oh yeah. I want to watch that. How, I mean, we've done fundamentals of caring and beast of donation for the pod, but like, how do you fundamentals of caring was pretty bad. It was, but how, I mean, how do you feel about this? This idea that Netflix might put out like what we know as an indie movie every two weeks. I love that. You love it. I think it's a good thing because like, Sometimes it's difficult to work up, like, you know, the $17 inertia to go see the new Joe Swanberg movie. (laughs) I agree. But if I'm getting it with Netflix, like, I think I would just interact more with the movie Mm. and his oeuvre. That's true. I was, I guess I was sort of leading you to be like, you know, sort of scared of the change. But no, you're really right. I would certainly have not gone to see this in a theater. I would have waited. And I would have probably been more negative in my review if I'd gone to see it in a theater. Yeah, if you feel like you spent, you know, 17 bucks or whatever oh, on this movie. New York prices over there. What are you guys paying for movie theaters? 10. 10? <laughs> yeah. I hate that. <laughs> well, 
Um, um, but yeah, no, I think I think like my knee jerk is to be like, no, like theaters, exhibition stuff, right, right. like the exhibition industry. But like, I don't really care. Like when it comes to this, like. You know, I'm kicking myself for seeing like the later Witt Stillman movies in the theaters, and like, yeah, yeah. you know, the Woody, like two Woody Allen movies a year. <laughs> who is who has the time or the energy or the funds to like right. spend thirty five dollars on Woody Allen? You're right. the in, The informal delivery this way is befitting of work that feels sort of light and informal. Yeah, this is this is oh, Minor Swanberg. Mm-hmm. You know, just like I think. Woody Allen's like that six part mini series he did for Amazon was probably like lesser Woody Allen. Anyway, should we turn toward a rating? Yeah. Okay. Chance, can you remind me how we do things around here? Sure can. I bet both of us can in this recording. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed, or Jaws, or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say... Love that. Bad bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild Wests. A conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good, bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good, bad is about being an adult. And these kinds of movies make Noah say, I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, bad good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos. It's late career Billy Joel. It's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I'm gonna say it's a soft good good. Yeah, I agree. But like good in like the very, like, dictionary definition of just like good like it's a fine fine movie yes it's not a great great movie but it's well made there's enough in there like narrative substance wise that like i watched the whole thing in one sitting and was entertained and felt like because it's like it's because it's jake johnson and i feel like i have a lot of sympathy for him just as a an actor um I felt like when he really got into that hole at the end there, it's like, fuck, like, this is real. Yeah, yeah, it's like, true. Like, this just got really real. And it's just a movie. But if it can do that to me, I feel like it's, it's the suspension of disbelief is intact. That's a good so. point. Your response to the way, to the moments of escalation in these movies really kind of tell the tale. Right. Yeah. Are you, like, bored out of your mind waiting for something to happen? Or are you, like... Because that's the thing that this movie succeeds at. Like, the tension builds. Like, right. you're claustrophobic, like, in this guy's, like, dirty shirt and suit by the end of it. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, dude. Like, don't gamble any more money. <laughs> You've lost so much money. Like, Go just work stop. on the yards. Go work on the yards. Um, and there's... Oh, we didn't even talk about Keenan-Michael Key. He's pretty good. I mean, again, He's I don't pretty, think it's, like, amazing, but, like... In yeah. terms of sit down with Jake Johnson and, and, and tell him that he's a USDA prime choice loser, uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. 
I think it's interesting too how all three of these movies like abuse a very talented supporting cast. Mm. You know, like how they sure, ask. Sure. Uh, I mean, they basically ask Billy Bob Thornton to do Sling Blade again for for a simple plan, hey, which is sort of offensive. He didn't have to say yes. I I agree with you. Soft Good Good, I think, is perfect. I mean, you can probably tell from the things that I pointed out that I loved about it that, like, this is a movie for people who like in DIY, detail-oriented filmmaking. I love his gold chain. I love the length of his beard. I love that scene at the track where they obviously didn't plan for the rainstorm, and they were like, Jake, will you please act like a compulsive gambler who needs this money, but Mother Nature's not letting him have it? It's the It's just a lot of, like, small, cool stuff in a fairly enjoyable... 75 minute movie it's everything it like sort of addressed everything that i have grown to despise about new girl which is like how hyperbolic it's become Mm. and it let like jake johnson portray a character that i like him playing in like a very like a a world that was more realistic than perhaps the new girl one oh undoubtedly so i like to it was just an interesting it's an interesting exercise to see him carry a movie um real quick before we move on i i liked i feel like i watched this one a long time ago now like almost two weeks ago and i think i watched it on the same day as 101 dalmatians and i loved the contrast of how amazingly jake johnson acts with the duffel bag as he's pulling things out of it compared to the way jeff daniels acts with the dog i was like in terms of acting with things that won't respond back jake johnson being like what fuck as he pulls like <laughs> zip ties and shit out of this bag one item by one item it's amazing yeah he's really good he's good he's good at acting uh, alongside inanimate objects yeah he's very entertaining um should we get to a simple plan buddy absolutely let's let's continue our simple plan to right. finish this podcast a simple plan 1998 sam raimi who you would know from directing the og aughts spider-mans and the quick and the dead and Anything else people need to know? No, that's enough stuff. Billy, you know Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> you know who Billy Bob Thornton is. So they live in, and you brought up Fargo. I was going to bring up Fargo, but so would anyone else. <laughs> um, so they live in North Dakota, question mark. It's just winter. They live in winter. I mean, they shot the movie in Minnesota, and the book takes place in Minnesota. Okay, cool. The movie never so says, I think though, it's, I don't think. The movie never specifies, but it's like the frozen north, but like America. Right. So Bill Paxton plays Hank. He works at a, a feed mill, and he's a, a real good old boy in this town. Yeah, he's married to Bridget Fonda, who is like... Oh, Bridget Fonda's a total babe, FYI. <laughs> you don't have to tell me, 1997. Um, and she's like eight months pregnant. And then, yes, as Noah said, Billy Bob Thornton is playing Jacob, his his mentally disabled brother. And then Brent Briscoe, I don't know what I'd know that guy from, but I really recognized him. Yeah, um, he's played a racist in like a, like a few other movies. <laughs> yeah, so what you got to know is that Lou, Brent Briscoe, Jacob, Billy Bob Thornton, and Hank, Bill Paxton are, uh, what are they doing? They're hunting one day? Um, well, no, they're, they're going to visit the mom's like grave or, or the dad's, the parent's grave. That's right. And like Lou is just along for the ride. They stop the car for some reason, and the dog jumps out and runs into the woods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they go after the dog, and they get into this argument. And in the argument, one throws a snowball at the other, and it hits this thing. And it turns out the thing that they've hit, that the ice sheet sort of falls off of from hitting from the snowball, is an airplane. Yep. 
Yeah. And inside the airplane is a dead pilot and $4 million. That's an airplane. I wonder how long it's been here. It's probably one of those drunk doctors. Yeah, they're always crashing their plane, you know? Oh, my God, look at this. Those are $100 bills. I bet it's drug money. You know what? If this guy's a dope dealer, we're just like Robin Hood. <laughs> it's a police matter now. What do you think we should do? What if we didn't turn it in? It's stealing. It's the American dream and a gym bag. He just wants to walk away from it. You work for the American dream. You don't steal it. Bill Paxton's going to hold on to the money until spring when everything thaws and they find the airplane and they'll see if it's reported that $4 million is missing. And if it's not, they'll just keep it. Mm-hmm. But they have to wait till spring. But as we were discussing earlier, these guys like need the money now. Why do they need the money now? Other than like their well, lives. Lou suck? needs the money because he's like he says he's gonna lose the house oh, and the car right. and yeah. everything. Yeah. And like Billy Bob's been out of work, the police chief says, for like years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even Bill Paxton, like he's about to have a baby. And Bridget Fonda is such an interesting character in this, and like the way she also controls the narrative. Yeah. Because his wife initially, when he poses hypothetically, he like comes home after finding this finding this bag of money, and he's like, "Honey, what what would you do hypothetically if like we found four million dollars? Would we keep it or would we give it back?" Right. And she's like, "Of course, give it back." Yes. And then he like reveals the bag of money, and she's like, "I totally <laughs> changing my position on this. Uh, we keep the bag of money." Yeah. But she then becomes like his puppet master. I find Bridget Fonda to be an extremely bad good part of this movie. Um, her her just moments of lashing out with like sudden orders for him she's, to follow. Right. And she's so otherwise like so steely. Yeah. And like has no emotion whatsoever that when she does break into like, oh my God, she has emotion. It's terrifying. Well, it's especially well paired with Bill Paxton, who in this movie does some like really bad things like much quicker than you think he would do them but like when he returns to his ordinary life he's still like well gee honey i don't really know what we should do with the money and she's like listen here hank you fuck like it comes out of nowhere well it's also kind of like bridget fonda being like listen bill like this is uh (laughs) mid-budget sam raimi movie we're gonna get through this Oh my god. Because uh, I think it's really like the groany parts of this movie are not when Bridget Fond is on screen. It's like when Bill uh, Paxton just talking to is Billy like Bob un- forever. talking to Billy Bob forever about like, except for that monologue at the end about the girlfriend who was just like paid to date him. Mm. That's like a brilliant, that's a pretty brilliant piece of writing. Yeah, I mean, you know, cheers to the Scott Smith novel for that. This movie did not yeah. come up with that. Well, the Scott Smith, he also adapted it, which oh, is interesting that go. they let a writer. I mean, that was that book was like huge, but yeah, it's so interesting when you see like the the author is the one who did the adaptation because like all bets are off in terms of like how pretentious this movie is gonna be. Oh yeah, and it definitely has a. You know what it reminded me of? If you remember my what's that? You remember my joke about the Mexicans' relation to Coen Brothers movies and how Jerry Bruckheimer just tried to, like, make a jock version of a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, I think yeah. this one is somewhere in that arena, too. Not really, like, oh, 100%. jockey, but just, like, someone who's just like, oh, I've seen Coen Brothers movies. I'd like to try to do that, except I don't feel like having any tertiary characters and leave the town to itself. <laughs> right. Come on. Yeah, it's interesting to consider, because, like, the things that make coen brothers movies interesting are details yes and this movie like has none no it has none it has it casts like very familiar looking supporting characters who have like already been established 
probably because of other roles you've seen them in. And then they let this sort of, I would say sort of predictable plot unfold. Yeah. And then it bashes you over in the absence of like actual literary detail. It bashes you over the head with this metaphor about the Fox and the crows. I mean, the Fox in the hen house is a metaphor God knows what the crows mean, but like their eight minutes of the screen time is just like these right. sentinels of death. Um, I think it just means they're doomed. And that's the thing about this movie is just like, these guys are screwed. They're screwed from the jump. They're screwed from the jump. That is the perfect way to put it. And you never believe that these guys are going to, like with Jake Johnson, you think like he'll probably get away with this by the end. Yeah. But with this movie, with Bill Paxton, like nobody thinks Bill Paxton's going to like get everything he wants in the end. No, no. Bill Paxton's never gotten anything he's wanted in any film. Can we, let's, can we talk about how Bill Paxton's in this movie? And I, I mean, I don't want to put too fine a points on this, but like RIP, very entertaining. He's dead, you know. Very entertaining, man. I think a yeah. lot of people said a lot of things about Bill Paxton's acting ability uh, in the last two months that they would not have said in the prior 30 years. When he was alive. Yes. I think it's funny. I mean, like, Bill Paxton seems to have been known in Hollywood as just, like, this fun guy to be around. Seems like everyone like, loved just him. A, everyone loved him. Paxton was one of the good ones. But as a coworker and a colleague, but in terms of, like, an actor. <laughs> yeah. I think it's we can all agree that he I mean was he ever up for any sort of acting awards? Never. I mean, he's he's a quintessential part of a lot of like ridiculous movies, yes. some of which are brilliant. Yes. And he he played a vital role, but he is not what I would say a versatile actor. No. Um as evidenced with the line, "Oh god, he's dead." <laughs> <laughs> Or when he, not to spoil the end of this movie, but it's like super old now. Yeah. Uh, when he kills the final person at the ends and he just like screams their name, like as he pulls the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Can we also talk about how this movie doesn't need to be like, this movie, if you notice, it's like five acts instead of like what it should be three. I agree. Yeah. And in the fourth and fifth act, the narrative is around this Gary Cole. Like, is he an FBI agent or is he actually one of the the kidnappers and ransomers? Which is, I think by that, like that point, pretty (laughs) ridiculous. Well, I thought that the, I mean, again, you know, plug your ears if you don't want to know this or skip ahead or something. But like, I think at that point you... You have to turn it into... You know who comes to get it in this movie? Sidestepping for one second. Chelsea Ross comes to get it. The guy who plays Conrad Hilton in Mad Men. And oh. he plays the sheriff in this. I was going to tell you like how much I baited to, to that He's guy. He's so hard to read. And I was thinking, like by the time he and Gary Cole like kind of take the reins of this movie, it's got to be like American Psycho with Willem Dafoe as the detective. They have to be there sort of like testing the guilt reflex of Bill Paxton. And instead, there's like an entirely different movie beginning. And you know, this movie, it did not utilize... We talked about how it neglects the town. When you neglect the town, you neglect the one thing that Bill Paxton is really good at, which is playing a heightened good old boy. Being like, oh, gee, man. Oh, I mean, we've drunk at the bar for the last 10 years. Like, you know me. I'd never do anything like that. Like, that's the one thing he is really good at is that, like, elevated shtick. And then by by virtue of the fact that he doesn't talk to anyone else, it barely is played upon. 
Yeah, this movie's interesting, too, because I think the quintessential Bill Paxton character is the, like, the blue-collar intellectual. Twister? You know, when he was looking for the... Twister, Uh. when he's looking for the Titanic, you know, kind of thing. Like, he's intellectual, but he, like, just doesn't... He's, like... His motivations are very, like, blue-collar. Yeah, he's a scientist, but he really just wants to, like, have sex and listen to The Grateful Dead. Yeah, he's a rock... He's not an ocean... Like, an oceanographer. He's He's a rock star. Yeah. You know... Mm-hmm. I bring the scientists, you bring the rock star. He's the <laughs> oh, nice. he's the Jeff Goldblum of <laughs> Titanic. Yeah, agreed. His character isn't necessarily like intellectual at all. Like even though they make fun of him for being pretentious, it like didn't add up to me that like he still was doing manual labor for a living. Um, did you enjoy watching it though? I feel like I kind of did even it was as it was ridiculous, but like now that we've said all these things about it, I don't, I don't know. There are just like so many scenes, like in somebody's living room, where they're just like talking about their values for like to no end, <laughs> right? And then it, it's like and telling like anecdotes that like really don't move the plot forward. That I'm just kind of like, that's when I like started playing on Instagram and like <laughs> checking my email. Yeah, this movie's a hard two. The other ones are ninety minutes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say that this movie is perhaps. Good, bad. Good, bad? <laughs> You're going to need to say more. Good. Because so far, I think you, so far a... you've made a very bad, bad argument. I mean, maybe, okay, I'll give it a soft, bad, bad. Okay. But, like, it's certainly not the second good. Like, the only where only place I think it could succeed if it were, like, a better thriller. Because that's the thing. It's a literary book dressed up as like a Hollywood thriller, and that's yeah. not what it is. And that's where Sam Raimi, I think, like maybe misunderstood the source material in casting this film. Um, but yeah, I think it's hard to watch. And, and what is Sam Raimi doing directing a movie where people sit in living rooms? Yeah, you got to give Sam Raimi some like skyscrapers to work with. They're like... Or a, you know, you know, a bullet going through the back of Keith David's head and making a hole that you shoot the town through. <laughs> Wait, what, what, which one's that? That's Quick and the Dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all those, like, weird, like, didn't he do all the um, Evil Dead? Yeah, and in this movie, all he has to shoot is that one thing where the crow lunges at Bill Paxton. Well, it's like Robert Zemeckis uh, shooting Flight. <laughs> It's like there's one scene that I'm going to kill, and yeah. the rest of it's going to be a horrible melodrama. I, that's not a bad comparison. That's not bad. Um, yeah, you know, I think if you would have asked me right afterward, I might have said bad good, because it was like, well, that was just ridiculous. But, you know, as you sit with it for longer and longer, you, I, I mean, I think it's just bad, bad. It's not awful, but, like, it has just myriad problems. It's got four million problems. It's got four million problems. Well, so do all these characters. I know. Um, but yeah, I think I... Okay, I'll, I'll go with you. I think it's bad. Soft, bad, bad. Okay. Um, and now let's get to like, the truly divisive, I think, film here. This one's strange. Money for Nothing is strange. Money for Nothing is, I think, the strangest... It's the strangest of the, of the three. Is this, I mean, is this movie a comedy or a drama? Because um, there are certainly some sight gags that seem way out of place, but I don't think I really laughed. 
I think this movie has three tones. It starts out as like a very realistic, I think Lawrence Kasdian sort of look at this working class Philadelphia community. Yeah. A community that was really jacked in the movie Rocky. Mm-hmm. And uh, it did as well as it could have, I think, establishing a certain place and a certain amount of like rounded characters. Yeah. But then, like, once they actually get the money, the movie then becomes this, like, weird, like, f- sort of gimmicky and, like, slapsticky comedy, almost, yeah. like, to National Lampoon level. A little bit. Where he, like, literally, like, falls through the ceiling with all this money. It- and then there's, like, the final act of it where it, like, thinks that maybe it's Oscar bait or something and tries to put, like, a real spin on, like, the last 25 minutes. So I was talking to my uncle the other day about the movie The Last Tycoon, adapted from the, the F. Scott Fitzgerald novel. Um, sure. And how Jack Nicholson and De Niro are both in that movie. And and I was like, how did I not know that? And then I sat with it for a second and I was like, well, if they're both in it and I've never heard of it, it's probably not any good. <laughs> and I kind of, I don't, I'm not coming to, don't mean to come down too hard or too early. But if someone told you there was a movie with John Cusack, Benicio Del Toro, James Gandolfini, <laughs> Michael Madsen, Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> okay. That's what you meant earlier when you texted me and you were like, this movie doesn't bode well or something. Right. And it's just like, oh, why have I never heard of that? There might be <laughs> right. a reason. Yeah, it's really like it's lesser everybody. Yeah, yeah. Like it's even lesser Rappaport, I would Rappaport, say. Rappaport, yeah. But, like, there's no... It's such a weirdly (laughs) cast movie, right? It's weird. Like, there's no reason that Benicio Del Toro and John Cusack should ever be in a movie together, (laughs) let alone in the same scene. Right, that's true. (laughs) Like, they don't don't exist on the same planes of, like, what I believe humans are possible when those people are on screen. So the plot, the plot, the plot. Um, The... An armored truck is from the Federal Reserve in Philadelphia is taking $1.2 million to the Trump Taj Mahal. Happy 1993. And, uh, yeah, that was a good little like, whoa. And interestingly, I mean, the mechanics of fate are interesting in all these movies, but in this one, it's like the money is actually pushing itself out of the truck. Like, it's like, I got to get out of here and change someone's well, that's, life. Well, that's, like that's the interesting question of the movie, which if it were, like, done better, it could endeavor to answer. Right. Is, like, who controls who? Is it the money controlling the person or the person controlling the money? What would you do Whoa! if you found... You don't find that kind of money just lying on the street. A million dollars. I just did. Hey, hey, hey. Would you give it back? What are you nuts? Or would you keep it? It's my money. Police! This is the true story of a man who found a little money. Did we steal it from anybody? No. And went a little crazy. Are we giving it back? Hell no. John Cusack, Money for Nothing, rated up. So what happens is uh, you see that um, it's sort of like a, a throwback to Cinderella Man, where Russell Crowe is just trying to trying to get a day shift on the dock, and uh, oh, yeah. and Cusack's brother James Gandolfini is like a, you know foreman at the dock, and he chooses the guys for the day. And even though John Cusack's brother Gandolfini has this unshakable moral code, he won't choose him. Um, and so Rappaport and Cusack just you know go home to 
fuck off for the day, I guess. And that's when yeah. they encounter this cart of money that's fallen off the back of this truck. And Rappaport says he wants nothing to do with it. Um, I don't want to be involved, Joey. And well, he's the Bill Paxton of this movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, thank God it decide, didn't decide to make him the star. Um, yeah. And Cusack, of course, takes the money and uh, instantly starts making horrible mistakes to draw attention to himself. Um, but I will say one of the things that this movie does a good job of, or that it at least is an interesting question to raise, is, you know, the way in a tightly knit community that you cannot possibly escape your life circumstances changing dramatically. You cannot keep that a secret in South Philadelphia of the early 90s. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, like he starts making dumb decisions and then he just starts like like going crazy. And I got to say, I didn't really like the way that Cusack played this guy. No. I think it was so interesting the way, I mean, you didn't get the sense that Jake Johnson was working this out down the stretch and win it all. But his, you know, his idea of Eddie is just like, this is this guy who's, you know, destined never to get ahead. But he's also especially good at squandering what he has, you know, like. He can talk himself into anything, and, you know, that's yeah. not that far from all of us. John Cusack just kind of plays this guy as mouth agape, low IQ, and then as he gets more and more desperate, it's almost like I was, like, looking for the drugs. It was just like, wait, did this guy take a bunch of drugs when I wasn't looking? Like, why is he behaving this way? Right. Yeah, it's strange. I don't love the performance. Yeah, and then the whole thing with the coffee at the ends. That's why, I, when, yeah. When these movies are at their worst, it is when a character is just like talking about the way they feel about something yeah, yeah. like and like interminably <laughs> and then like talking and like using like weird, like always landing on some like rough metaphor, like dealing with like some working class thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. This is this movie is wasted performances because the movie hangs only on the deterioration of John Cusack. Yeah. And he does not know how to play that sort of like, you know, final act of a Scorsese movie like craziness. Like he doesn't know how to like get into a car when the helicopters are above him right after right. Like, snorting a bunch of cocaine. Henry Hill. Like he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have the chops of a Ray Liotta. No. So then like, yeah, you have PSH totally wasted. You have Gandolfini who's like only allowed to do one thing, which is to have a sh- unshakable moral code, right. as you said. And Rappaport, god damn it. He's such a typecasted actor. Like with a simple plan, it's it's not all bad. There are interesting things. The specificity of the setting is good. I mean, you yeah. really do feel like everyone talks about, you know, there's this moment where PSH and his friend are like, if we got the reward, we could each buy our own row house. Like they're aiming so low, their lives are so sad. Well, that's the yeah, that's the other question that I sort of asked at the beginning is like, what is this movie? Like, what do the characters want? Mm-hmm. Like, what would they do with the movie? Or do with the money in these movies? And it's... This... I, I think this one sort of answers it the least, other than that scene where he's just, like, grasping at straws, like, saying things that, like, they might want, like, braces or, like, a boat. Yeah. But he... What does he want? No idea. Maybe to, I guess, the respect of his peers, and that's kind of what he gets, and maybe he can be with that girl. But, I mean, I think that's where... When it all, I mean, has the help of it being a gambling movie. Like, the whole time, like, this guy is screwing up, he could, in a moment, 
not screw up. And the problem with the simple plan and money for nothing is that like they're doomed from the very beginning. Nothing they are going to do. The moment where the movie wants you to feel peak anxiety, you feel peak hopelessness. They're not getting away with this. You were never getting away with this. The whole movie is about you not getting away with this. And they can't convince you they were ever going to. It's at sometimes an interesting movie, but like I would never say a fully entertaining one. No. So I think what we have to land a bad bad. I'm I'm right there with you. I think Do you agree? Are we are we in agreement here? Yeah. I think the questions down the stretch can be tantalizing enough to be compelling to you if you're reviewing it for your pod. But I don't think But for you, dear listener. You can skip it. It's Yeah, it's just hard to support a movie that misses so badly in its like biggest moments. You're not... You can tell what it wants you to feel, and I would highly doubt that you'll be feeling it. So probably a bad, bad. So, yeah. So the only really good Idiot Finds a Bag of Money movie is also an Idiot Finds a Bag of Money movie with a gambling problem. Because I think you need to sort of use the money to, like, fuel another plot. Well, yes. And that's what we can say real fast. A movie that could fall into this category, Llewellyn is not an idiot, is No Country for Old Men. It's a movie where somebody finds a bag of money and everything goes to hell. But that bag of money is one strand of several strands of fate that are coming together. And it's interesting, too, like, if you throw this movie into the mix, the idea of... Because all these three guys have, like, stolen... They've stolen money. Mm-hmm. They've, like, stolen something from someone else. Whereas um, No Country for Old Men, like, he clearly sees that, like, this money is part of... I mean, he c- comes across this ridiculous scenes of all these dead people. Yeah. So he knows that the money is, like... It's not... It's, like, drug money or, like, something illicit. That's interesting, yeah. These guys all have to kind of delude themselves into thinking it's like it's clean and usable somehow. Well, pal, if we found a bag of money, we'd we'd probably just pay our SoundCloud premium dues. Uh, as always, you can find our podcast, Be Real, as it's now known, at uh, berealpodcast.com. We're on Twitter at berealpod. You can still email us at berealguys at gmail.com. I am Chance. He's Noah. All good Swanberg movies are hangouts, and that's all our podcast is good for, too. So, Right. We're just two guys hanging out. Just hanging out. Talking about stuff. All right, man. Well, we'll see you next time. Until that, that glorious moment. All right. But every once in a while it becomes a drag, so I come down of the money bag. Yeah.